0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision Syntech Fuse. This is Theo, your host for the episode. Joining us today is Natasha Harper-Madison, an entrepreneur, a champion for the local community, and truly, truly an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining us today, Natasha.
1: Wow. Thank you, Theo. I appreciate it. What an introduction
0: what an amazing person you are i i have to say i was i felt so fortunate to have met you even though it was bravely even though it was the last day but we managed to share the stage in Barbados. so thank you andrew for bringing us together and i remember sitting there listening to you you were sitting on my right side like wait (laughs) why why am i on this stage it should be you it should just be you i would love to hear more i i That was literally how I felt. And and as I enter after, I'm like, what am I doing there? Wow. (laughs) I'm flattered. And I appreciate flattery and food very much (laughs) in equal measure. (laughs) I do love food. See, we now have another thing in common. We need to redo this again in person. Yes. So for our listeners who did not get a chance to be in Barbados to hear your story, would you mind sharing your journey with us and how you end up going from being a small business owner—that was—that was how the story started—to becoming someone who served in the city council. Sure. So I, I uh, wish it were a
1: sexier story. So everybody listening, I apologize in advance. It will not be sexy, but it will be real, and it answers Theo's question about how it all came to pass. And so I, as a person growing up in the capital city of the great state of Texas, we were fortunate enough to have a mom who was resourceful. I mean, she can figure anything out. That doesn't say, however, though, that we didn't have challenges. And some of those challenges, you know, were entirely rooted in economics, you know, being the product of cyclical poverty. And it's a thing that I recognized even as a child, you know, this is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. And I think, you know, who knew that's one of those childhood characteristics that just followed me into adulthood. Things have to be right. They have to be just, they have to be just so. And I I recognized it wasn't. And I think both out of frustration and, you know, my mom's infectious grit, I told myself very early on, I was gonna become a badass business lady when I grew up and I was going to make a bunch of money. And, you know, it's like a child's understanding of philanthropy, Theo. (laughs) I was just like, I'm going to make a bunch of money, so much money, and everybody's going to have good food and, you know, clean pillowcases, you know, the things that, you know, just felt like luxury, but it's all relative. You know, we should all have food and clean pillowcases and a consistent place to to rest your head, and so all that to say, I uh, I had what I could call a health opportunity in twenty fourteen. I was on the tail end of the conversion of one of my, you know, still to this day, probably frankly, my favorite ventures that because it, it remains unfinished because of my health opportunity. I won't say too much about it, but it's a it's a business that was near and dear to my heart, and I've been just. Pitching and pitching, I'm sure you're familiar with the pitch circuit. And so pitching and pitching, and I finally, you know, when you finish nailing a pitch and you know you nailed it, and it's like you walk out of a room like any fool on that stage who doesn't want to give me money, that's their problem, you know. And so I left feeling very confident and finally got somebody to hand me a check with a lot of zeros on it. And I was like, this is it. I made it, (laughs) you know. And just a couple weeks later, you know, I had this health opportunity that presented itself in a finger that kept turning blue. My index finger kept turning blue. And my partner at the time, he's a paramedic firefighter. He said, if that thing turns blue one more time, we got to get it looked at, you know, and it did. And so we did. And the doctor at the time said, well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is, you know, we know what's wrong with you. You have lupus. And the bad news is, you know, it's it's a part of you. So now you need to get a rheumatologist and learn how to manage this. And so we start the journey. This is in uh, September, the same month as my birthday in 2014. And then, so I got lupus on a Monday and I got cancer on a Friday to, you know, just sort of fast forward to the the punchline. And so it was the fight with a late stage, fast growing cancer at the age of 36 that really shifted my thought and my thinking and so that check with all the zeros didn't mean anything if i was questioning my mortality at 36 so that never materialized you know right that check had to go back and me and my family we just hunkered down and got ready to eat cancer's ass basically and you know long story short that's how we landed here just finding myself on the on the other end of a really tough battle and recognizing that if you get the chance to question whether or not you're gonna wake up another morning, then you really start asking, what am I gonna do with my day? You know, if I get the chance to wake up tomorrow, what am I gonna do with the day today to really earn that opportunity to to walk around and do stuff? You know, my my mom's a, a big optimist and she says, you know, as long as you wake up on that side of the dirt in the morning, baby, everything else is negotiable. You know, it's like everything else you can try again you know as long as you get to keep walking forward so long story short just recognizing that there was a lot of need in my community and that it wasn't being met and that it was the kind of challenge that was going to offer me the opportunity to have the fulfillment i wanted and to really you know think through leaving a legacy for my kids i wanted it to i wanted it to mean something that i existed for them
0: i'm sure anyone who hears your story myself included will feel inspired and and it does what you just said, I, I just wrote it down, because it is something that gives you a perspective, a perspective that makes you ask yourself, I did have a chance to wake up this morning, looking at your life differently. What can I do with the time that we have, that we have given? And it, it's, I said it before, and I said it this morning, and I'm going to say it again. Thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story. What you just said in the beginning, when you were talking about being just, talking about equality, that is something that resonates with myself and resonates with a lot of people that listen to the podcast Um, in the United States, as well as with many other economies, small business is in fact the backbone for our society is 99% of the businesses are small business in the U S and many of them are founded by immigrants. Many of them are founded by people from underserved communities. Many of them wanted to have that chance, that opportunity to do something, to do something for themselves, do something and leave a legacy for the next generation, as you say, and do something for, because they can, because that is the country. Our country is supposed to be something that, you know, value equal opportunity, supposed to. Absolutely. What more? Should we be doing that we are not doing to enable that for more people? Because I feel like it's not lack of awareness that we need to do more. It's not lack of awareness that we have not done enough. But yet the needle mm-hmm. hasn't moved as much as we hope it would, as much as it should.
1: What what are we missing? I don't know that we're missing anything. It's all readily available and very very obvious and it's one word and it starts with a c and it ends with an m. Capitalism.
0: You can't the check with the zeros. <laughs> the check
1: with the zeros is the balance factor, right? And so you cannot there are variables we can control. And that just does not happen to be one that we've mastered controlling. So until, you know, that magic wand you made mention of can wave over capitalism and suddenly make it altruistic by nature, then we're working around the system as opposed to within it. So just assume we're starting at a disadvantage, you know, and by we, I mean, the people for whom just fair, you know, I mean, and I'm not even looking necessarily for equal every time, just fair. I mean, and I think maybe that's a part of that conversation, right? I'm willing to take less. Are you, if we're talking about, you know, they talk about what's the analogy about everybody getting a seat at the table and, you know, that sort of concept of, you know, everybody being able to be present. But what if the analogy shifts to there being no table? The table is brand new. It's being built from scratch. And everybody who gets a seat is there by merit exclusively, not by generational wealth or sex or class or any other variable that you don't get to control. You know, if you only arrive at the table by merit, that means if we start over, some people are going to lose their seat. So. Are you willing to concede to that L, basically? Are you willing to take that L? And I think most people are not by way of capitalism. I think by its very nature, capitalism is greedy. And you think about it's self-serving and it's greedy. And I don't mean that to be derogatory even. I just mean by its very nature, it's, you know, it true equity and balance is the new table with no context, just merit. But, you know, most folks wouldn't give up their seat on a life raft just because it was fair. And I think maybe that's just human nature.
0: It is human nature, but I do often question how much is enough, right? So, for example, we look back at venture dollars last year. Black founders in the U.S. raised 0.48%. 0.48. Didn't even make 1%. Didn't even make right. half point 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 five percent Right, and and the total, according to the TechCrunch report, that I quoted from Dom, it's six hundred and sixty-one million dollars. Six hundred and sixty-one okay. million dollars for the entire year. That and that's something out of a whole pool of one hundred thirty-six billion. Mm-hmm. It's not, and 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 what you said hurts because we're not even asking for equality. We're just asking for just. We're asking for a little bit more. Asking for a little bit more than breadcrumbs. And yet the numbers and everything we've seen last year is even lower than what we have seen the last three, four years. Absolutely. It, you know, I, and, and I will be honest with you, I'm at a loss because from, from the very beginning, when we first started out in tracking and trying to, to make a dent to now, it's been seven years. And I mean, I, I, I try to be positive. I love your positive energy, your optimism, like what you told us when we were back in Barbados. But it is hard to keep optimism when you keep looking at around you all the things that are not equal, all the things that are not right. Even my kids see that. This is not right. And they're children. I don't know what more we can do. We, there is no lack of awareness, there's no lack of talent, there's no lack of people trying to do the right thing, but you still need the other people to come to the table and say, Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Well, so I think you definitely give me too much credit around optimism. <laughs> I, you I, are I way
0: more it, optimistic than I am. <laughs> listen, I'd give it a different
1: name, I would call it surrender, honestly. I know where I am. I know what it is, right? So I'm a I'm a black woman with dark skin who grew up in Central Texas. You know, one of the most racist spaces in this country. And recognizing who you are, where you are, and context is everything, right? Theo, you know, I I know where I am. I know what it is. I know how to enter a room. I know how to be in a room. I know how to get what I need done done by way of you know operating within a set of predetermined boundaries. And that could either inhibit your ability to get things done because you're debilitated by the reality that systems outside of your control dictate how you have to move. Like, you know, the amount of times I tuck my knuckles under my chin and just go, "Oh, little old me, I'm just pretty and black and stupid. I don't know anything about anything, just to get it done and get out of the room. And so fewer people lose today. You know what I mean? I know who I am. I run intellectual laps around you, sir. And I'm well aware of that. However, bringing that energy into this room under these circumstances with this is the context. And that's the thing. We can just never remove the cues around culture and cultural understanding and race and class and gender context. Those variables, they absolutely have the ability to, you know, dictate and determine exactly how the thing goes. But when I say surrender, I want to make sure I don't make it sound like I give up. It's more like I recognize it for what it is and I'll do what I need to do to work around it. It doesn't have to be you know, an impenetrable, impenetrable barrier. It's just like, like the difference between what do they call them? Those all-terrain tires, right? You know, I'm navigating terrain that wasn't intended for me to be able to, you know, traverse, but look at me go. All I had to do was get some, some new tires and it's all good. I mean, it's not all good. It's all terrible actually, but it is what it is. And I think the longer we sort of You know, I'll give you one more analogy for the day because I love these things. I have friends who have pit bulls. They love their pit bulls. I'm a dog lover, so I get it. But my, I have, you know, friends who work in emergency services and who have seen the damage that a pit bull can do to human flesh. And not because they're inherently inclined to do it. It's because they can't. And the fact that they can is what sort of introduces the fear and maybe even a healthy dose of, you know, care and concern around a thing that can really hurt you. And so I think I encourage, you know, especially women who look like me and you and my daughters to you know traverse the terrain in a way that you assume that there are barriers ahead you know and just intend to navigate around them all gamify the trash that is people who think they're better than you because of what they look like or what genitals they have and do it anyway you know and and that's really not optimism that's like frustration and the desire to not have a complete breakdown (laughs) you know honestly
0: realistic i think that right pragmatic pragmatic being pragmatic i'm not i i have i have to say i'm not quite that yet i keep i keep flip-flopping i find myself flip-flopping probably a tad tamer tamer (laughs) since i am now older Mm -hmm. right they do say older and wiser and you got worn down after a little while like all right I mean death by a thousand cuts it's very true but I don't want that for my kids I don't want that for my children and uh, I I still remember this this was quite a few years ago not from the recent not from the last election but from the one before that and that was the first time that I lost my sense of security or perhaps I was always naive and uh, I remember my my kids coming home my daughter at that time she was she was kindergarten and uh, they both came back from from school from public school and they were brushing their teeth and they looked in the mirror and just you know kids being kids and sounded so innocent but yet there was so much context behind that little question they asked they were like mommy what color are we i'm like mm. i'm like what, what 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 do you mean like it, that that question never it never came through my mind because i know i'm asian 100 percent asian ethnic chinese i moved here a long time ago so i'm a transplant if you will but i never paused for once and thought about the color of my skin and they asked and and my daughter she was she asked she was like mommy i'm not i'm not yellow i'm not white i'm not black i'm not brown what am i and i asked her mm. like why did why did she ask that? And she said, "Well, because my friends say I'm not American." And <laughs> I, I remember I remember that conversation. I'm like, "But if you're not American, what are you? You're born here. We live here. We bought our house here. Our lives is here. Our friends are here. Our family is here." And she said, "No, my friends say I'm not American." And 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 that conversation and similar conversations followed for the entire year. That was a terrible election year. And, and, and I, it killed me in a way because it it brought up so many things. It brought up the sense of belonging or not belonging. It brought up the sense of identity. It brought up the sense of access. It it brings up so many, so many things. And I know we are in a very privileged place because we could have that conversation, but yet we still allowed access to a lot of different things where a lot of people aren't and they don't have it. Mm -hmm. I just don't. It, it, it killed me because I don't know how to how to explain it to, to kids and I don't know how to digest it. I still have trouble digesting it because I everywhere mean, yeah. you look, you look around like, yeah, no, this is not right. No, this is not right. No, this is not right. But a sort of voting, right? So we we teach our kids the important things to vote. We teach our kids important things about being just and equality and looking at... Things that are happening around us, what is not right, and we point it out, it becomes everything becomes a learning moment. I don't know what else we can collectively do to change, change what's around us. Especially, you see, we saw the lawsuits, right, that's been coming right. the last twelve months or so against Fearless Fund in uh, in Georgia, against you know a lot of corporates that are trying, at least trying. <laughs> Not saying they succeeded, but at least trying to do something, right? And they all right. get sued. Oh, um, right. What can we collectively do to make it down? I really
1: appreciate that you hit on civics, you know, and and that was honestly as you were starting to say the thing about kids, you know, I think my kids are my primary inspiration. Yes, you know, when I one of the, when I decided to run for office and to get back to the pragmatic thing. Ultimately, the thing that you can do is change policy, and that's how we arrived here to bring it full circle, you know, from your original question, how did we get here? How we got here is ultimately you change policy, because then the rules apply unilaterally. You can't change the game in the middle of the game, change the rules, move the ball if the rules apply to everybody. So that's about policy, and in a lot of ways, I became a policymaker listening to my kids, and so when I was running, Um, You know, I'm sitting there kind of whiteboard in my policy platform. And I mean, it hasn't changed not once because it was just purely practical as a person who never had political ambition. It was just like, I call them my hymns, housing, economics, mobility. Where do people live? How do they make their money? And how do they get where they got to go? And then, you know, at the end of that, you add food, right? You know, that's a really important one that a lot of people are missing. But well, that's it. I'm sitting there sketching it out. And my baby, who had this really fantastic lisp at the time, she's grown out of it, which is too bad. But she said, Mama, what's going to look like in 2080? And I was just like, holy moly. You know, it's 2017, and this kid wants to know what 2080 looks like. And I really couldn't, you know, picture it, honestly. And then I couldn't picture it in a way that I felt like, I had contributed something that made it a little bit less terrible, you know? And so then I really started thinking about policy. And so to your question earlier about how to help small businesses thrive, because so many people who are in, you know, what would otherwise be disadvantaged circumstances, they thrive because they're able to have small businesses So to some degree, as a policymaker, I'm still a small business owner. The city operates like a small business. It's just a different widget that I'm selling now. But it absolutely is still a small business if you do it well. And so offering small businesses, for example, access to affordable commercial real estate, That's an advantage you can offer small businesses, and you can absolutely make that happen with policy, offering advantages around, you know, let's say you have an outdoor festival venue and you need to be able to operate three weekends out of the year. If the city were to offer you some sort of subsidy by way of the amplified sound permit. That's thousands of dollars. And for a small business, that changes your margins entirely. Offering some other things that could offset your overhead, you know, access to parks. So I passed an item that I brought forward at yesterday's city council meeting around city co-sponsorship of an outdoor free summer music festival series here in Austin called Blues on the Green. And we were able to do so by waiving the fees that are associated with access to the park and some of the permitting and, you know, the event specialty permitting, et cetera. And that changed everything and made it so that their margins, the numbers still shake out to where they can produce this free music series. So it's things like that that we could do for small businesses. But that's all about policy. And the truth of the matter is having a person like me, who, like I said, you know, I never had political ambition, but once I got here, you know, I am able to very uniquely have this, I guess it works to my detriment sometimes, but mostly I think it's a quirky superpower that I have to fix it, Theo. Like if I see it and it's off, I have to fix it. I cannot walk away from it once I've seen it. And so it's like, as a layperson, I always thought everything that had to go through a bureaucratic system took too long and cost too much. And I got here and I was like, holy moly, I was right. You know, I'm not so much a part of the system that I don't see why people are hesitant to get engaged and get involved. They should be skeptical. It is gross. I've seen behind the curtain. I can assure you it's as yucky as you think it is, which is all the more reason you got to get involved and stay involved, especially people who haven't been born and bred for politics and policymaking, that's what shakes up the system and brings that innovative diversity in thought. And so a person like me who grew up in the projects should absolutely be a policymaker in the 10th largest city in the nation, the capital city of the great state of Texas. Of course I should be a policymaker and recognizing some of the shifts in policy that can be made that offer people a little bit more in the way of a leg up Um, But also recognize that you got to teach people to be self-sufficient. That's a part of the justice and that harmony and that commitment to service. You got to be self-sufficient, yet no subsidy lasts forever. And frankly, nobody wants a subsidy forever. People want agency. They want to be self-sufficient. But by way of the system, you know, it's our inherent duty to recognize the intrinsic value in humanity and do what needs to be done, you know, even if it presents with, you know, I always laugh when people go, well, what's the front end cost? What's the cost of not doing it? What are you talking about? You know, people need food and water and, you know, access to transit and housing and people who experience homelessness should have the opportunity to have Case management and wraparound services and permanent supportive housing and access to the kind of services that determine why a person's been chronically homeless. We have to care about that human experience to make it better. And to your question about what we can do collectively, I think civic engagement, insisting that everybody stay involved. The system works exactly like it's designed because by design, People, The people who need to be at the table the most are excluded and or feel excluded, in which case voluntarily don't participate. That's exactly what they want you to do. They want you to be so, you know, burnout and, you know, disillusioned that you say, what's the point of my contribution to a system that excludes me and frankly abuses me? That, that's exactly what you do. You go and you be a nuisance and you stick your thumb in the eyeball of the system that doesn't want you present and remain a nuisance and then become a policymaker that doesn't always get Robert's rules of order right. <laughs> then you really get to know it. Trust me, I know by by way of experience,
0: it's fantastic and
1: glorious. Everybody run for office.
0: I like, I like how you put it. Be a nuisance, but in their face. Sometimes I feel like that's what the kids do to me. They're like in my face so that I pay attention to them. Um perhaps that's what we need to do with the system. I I hear your point about feeling disenfranchised. That I, I feel that a lot of times you look at, you know, what's going on, you're like, why why do I have to to spend energy to do that? Why why it would be so much easier and so much more peaceful mentally to just disengage, to step back. But mm-hmm. but you're you're right. Cause if we don't stick our thumb in it, if you don't if you don't get <laughs> in it, you can't change it. What would you like to see more from the banking community? Because I am a big believer and, and we started this earlier. The the word that starts with a C and ends with an amnesthetic capitalism. It, poverty inequality is mm-hmm. a policy choice. It is a policy mm-hmm. choice as much as it is a choice by people who have control of yes
1: ma'am. money Speak. right mm-hmm.
0: what should we yes. do more
1: well you know our former mayor and my friend steve adler would say our budget is a moral document so you know as a council member one of the most important duties i have is to figure out how we will allocate billions of dollars and our Budget is our moral document. You apply your resources to the things that are important to you. So when we resist the application of finite resources to things that make people's lives better, we say what our priorities are. And so I I think that's kind of it, you know, just really forcing the system to... so. Let me go back. I'll answer your question about the banking community and I really appreciate that you asked that because I think you're kind of a unicorn which I was so pleasantly surprised by how many people I met at the Fintech conference that were basically they were speaking French and I was speaking Japanese because I do not speak finance and I don't speak tech but I tell you what we were using universal hand gestures <laughs> to communicate cuz we still found a way to figure out like What you're saying, even though the terminology I'm not familiar with, the concept is the same. We were saying the same stuff. And it's having people in the banking community and access to giving people access, understanding the complexities of capitalism and the difference between being able to have people by way of their self-sufficiency be able to produce a viable product and earn a fair you know, reasonable income in exchange for the thing that they produce. But I think so frequently, my friend Sharon, she says there is no such thing as unskilled labor. Every job is a job, right? And there's skill and value in every job, but making certain that we offer people the opportunity to do it to the best of their ability and really have access. So access to traditional funding is out of sight for so many people that access really is the, you know, the Sesame Street word of the day. And that's what, you know, the banking industry could could do. But it, it requires people like you and like so many of the folks that I met at the FinTech conference who are equal parts, you know, finance dynamo, but, you know, people who are ready to burn it all down and start over if it's not fair. And I think Those people are few and far between, and I think they do, unfortunately, probably burn out more frequently than not because they're swimming upstream. And I I think the question then becomes, how do we create deeper connections between sort of something that feels so distant and for, I'm putting quotations around the people. The people don't have access to bankers. They don't speak in finance terms necessarily. You know, some of the classes that we do with people through our economic development department, it's the most, you know, like remedial level of financial literacy that we're talking about. What is an APR? Why should you not get that credit card with a 29.9% interest rate? Because why should you not? You know, when we're talking about predatory lending, I don't do so in a way that's like, Self righteous, you know, I get it. Sometimes you need that payday loan to get over to the next, you know, payday because you really are basically going to work to pay to go to work at the end of all your expenses. But you need to feed your kids tonight. And so there are predatory systems, especially in Texas, they get held up and called alternative finance mechanisms. And these are, you know, payday lenders and rent a tire places and easy ponds. That will let people pawn their possessions, you know, at a 200% interest buyback, you're not going to get your thing back, whatever the thing is. So you just got 20 bucks for a thing that's valued at 100 bucks to buy one meal for one night. And now you're still struggling tomorrow, but you just sold the thing that you needed access to the most. So like people will sell their phones pawn their phones but it's like, you need your phone in order for your clients to call you for you to do somebody's braids today. You know, if that's your small business, if that's your hustle, how are you going to contact your clients or go on Facebook and post pictures of the hair you did yesterday if you don't have your phone, but you pond your phone to feed your kids a bucket of chicken tonight? You know, it's, it's a system where there has to be some, I think the banking industry is going to have to run interference, but it's going to have to run concurrent with an effort from folks like me and policymaking, folks in social services, folks who create and maintain these, you know, sort of social, what's the word? You know, the word is missing me right now. Safety nets, the social safety. So it's like everybody mind in their lane. So like, for example, I am not an activist that, goes to rallies. My anxiety is set up in a way that I cannot be around large crowds or lots of noise, but I can fight from my policy lane. And then other people who have more stamina and, you know, endurance can go do the rally lane. And then somebody else can do the finance lane. And then somebody else can do the tech lane. I think if we all collectively look at one another and just like like in the Netherlands when they ride bikes, you know, nobody's wearing helmets and they're not really doing hand signals. They're communicating by looking at one another to determine what the cue is for who goes next. And if we did a better job of that, that would be my magic wand request, but that would also require that we trust one another to mine our lanes. You know, it's why we have too many nonprofits who duplicate one another's efforts because we don't trust one another to say, Hey, I do this and, It really works in concert with what you do. We should work together. Instead of that, you know, they each form their own nonprofit and fight for limited resources and access to, you know, financial support. You know, we just, I guess, have to figure out how to do a better job of working together to collectively succeed. We have to
0: shed our bias, I think, first and foremost. Mm. shed our assumptions of how each other operates. I feel like it's so easy to become jaded. And we think we know best for what mm. others need to do. And that's a, that's a tough thing to do. I love what you're saying about more collaboration across the lanes, more, frankly, more respect for what each other do. And hopefully, eventually we'll get there and hopefully it will be there before 2080.
1: Well, you're teaching your kids in a way that they're asking you, you know, or you're recognizing that they they can interpret injustice. And if they're already seeing it, then the thing that I think, especially people who've decided to, to procreate, you know, we have some responsibility for the kind of humans that we produce and them seeing that means that, you know, we're doing our part in that way. I'm certain, you know, out of all my things, being a mom is my best thing. I'm, you know, shaky at a lot of the other stuff, but being a mom is a is a thing that I do well. And I can tell by way of watching how they are as humans. And I think in large part, there are like our litmus, right? You know, if your kids are all right and they appreciate fairness and are developing their opinions and their thoughts around things that seem unjust, then I suppose at that point, it's just a matter of time. Maybe we won't see it, but we know
0: it'll happen. Let's hope they can get to it before we burn the planet down. <laughs> um, so that's a whole different Then there's that. <laughs> <laughs> then there's that. Before we close, I do want to ask you, what do you wish your younger self would know about your career path? If you were able to travel back in time, would you have said anything to yourself back then? So
1: many things. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think as a, I think as a person who is constantly in search of harmony, but I'm just dynamic enough and complex enough to where I'm not I'm not happy being singularly focused. So I I have to have Yeah yeah, I should have said something like, Girl, you are way too dynamic to even attempt singular focus. So just stop that, you know, because I think a lot of the hard time we get is what we give ourselves. And just stay organized. Set your goals and your boundaries. Uh, I definitely would have told her to only be friends with folks who are honest with you and who are supportive of you. I think having people say, you know, you're thinking too big, too far ahead, slow down, singularly focus for now. It doesn't have to be what you commit to forever, but for right now, figure out the next step. But recognize you can be flexible, but you have to be strategic and, you know, you can be nimble. But you really have to be clear about what's the definition of this W that you're looking for? You know, what is a win here? So let's say you don't get all 19 of the things. If the win is two, how do you get those two things? Just really more clarity of purpose. I would have told her to try to focus on that. You don't have to be linear, but you do have to be, you do have to have some specific aim, which is not, I think for a lot of creative people, especially really multi-passionate entrepreneur types, I think it's difficult to to really hone in on that aim.
0: I like that. I think that's something that a lot of us need to work towards. Myself included. I I feel like a you know one of those uh, memes that they have with the squirrel that they just keep looking around with? and and that's I mean. like like wait what 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 do I need to do now? Okay, um, but when I, it goes well, that's your superpower. If it goes well, it's- Yeah. okay Okay, fair um I I I could I could keep going and I I hope we can do this in person next time because I learned from you every time when when we talk this is only the second time um you you gave us much to think about I scribbled three pages of notes I like to to write when, when I talk. That's the only way I can retain information. Um, and and I just love everything you say. I love what you talk when you talk about the journey, when you talk about um, how we need to fight within the system that frankly, unfortunately, is not really set up to to include more people that are different that look different that behave different that are not from within the system but i appreciate everything that you do um fight the good fight make the good trouble and uh, you know what let's turn the world upside down and see what happens shake it up a little bit why not i'm down same team let's go (laughs) let's go well thank you so much natasha for your time for the rest of our listeners who and i'm sure you have gained much from this. So thank you for sticking with us and we will talk to you all next week for another episode of One Vision.